HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. It is Sunday, uh, 1 o'clock, and that means you've tuned in to Eat Your Words, brought to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza on the Heritage Radio Network. It is a sunny day here in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you might be wondering, what's up? Because the voice coming to you through uh, your radio dial is not that of Kathy Irway, the weekly host of Eat Your Words. Um, we're, we're turning the tables on Kathy today. Uh, my name is Erin Fairbanks. I am host of The Farm Report and Executive Director of Heritage Radio Network. And today we're going to be interviewing Kathy, who is joining us in studio as our guest to talk about her new amazing book, The Food of Taiwan. Welcome to the studio. It's so thrilling to be here. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Applause, applause. Um, so, Kathy, I have to say this is probably the only cookbook I have ever read and maybe possibly the only cookbook in the history of the world that opens um, with a description of an assassination attempt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> The Food of Taiwan is not all about this assassination attempt, but, um, you know, I had a really pivotal semester abroad in Taipei and... It was during a very pivotal time in its history. Um, the Democratic Progressive Party's president was campaigning for his second uh, tenure. And just the day before the elections were to take place, he was shot. Not life-threateningly. It was like more like a graze. And, uh, but anyway, so this re... You know, he went on to win. He was fine. Um it was such an interesting turning point in the history of Taiwan because you see 
you know, the Democratic Progressive Party really animating the culture of Taiwan and people were standing up and saying that, you know, they're Taiwanese, and which is the DPP's message, you know, um, claiming that heritage and being proud of that culture, um, which was different, you know, from, from the time before. And it's actually grown immensely since that time. Yeah, well, and I think it's like interesting as a reader of cookbooks because you kind of immediately are throwing the gauntlet down and saying to us, you know, really announcing this is not going to be your mama's cookbook. Um, <laughs> and and one of the things I really love kind of making my way through the book is how, you, how, how kind of thoughtfully you've interwoven both, um, you know, the history of the people of Taiwan, but also your own kind of personal narrative mm-hmm. into this book. And so I know because uh, we are on your show that your <laughs> listeners are probably uh, somewhat familiar with your, your background. I mean, obviously the book, uh, The Art of Eating In, How I Learned to Stop Spending and Love the Stove, um, longtime theme of the show. Yeah. But your second book, um, focusing specifically on Taiwan, why? You know, when we talk about home cooking, we think of our comfort foods. And, uh, you know, growing up, my mom would cook often um, Taiwanese-inspired dishes because she was born and raised in Taiwan. So, you know, when I when I talk about getting back to your roots and, like, getting into the hang of cooking, a lot of people find that it's really comforting to, to cling to some of their favorite comfort foods and that nostalgia. So I think that, you know, exploring my own favorite comfort foods just led me to, you know, this wonderful exploration of where it came from. Um, so that's why. And also, you know, I haven't seen a cookbook about Taiwanese food with or without an assassination attempt beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the other thing um, that uh, I think is really, you know, the, the another way the book is kind of striking new ground is this idea of Taiwanese cooking being distinct um, from other regions of China. And can you maybe, for folks who are less familiar with the kind of, uh, like, physical geographic history mm-hmm. of um, Taiwan, give us a sense of where it sits in relation to China and... Um, Kind of so we can get a like a, a picture sure. in our head. So Taiwan is like just off the southeast coast, um, very very close to Fujian Province, um, but it's it's very separate in a way too. Um, it had an Aboriginal tribes for thousands of years um, that had nothing to do with uh, the Chinese Empire until you know re- relatively modern times. Um, also, you have Japan right to the north. Uh, the Japanese archipelago sort of trickles down. And for a time, it was sort of debated, like, if Taiwan is part or not. But anyway, th- that comes up later. But um, And then also just to the south is the Philippines. So it's pretty subtropical climate. Um, you have a lot of similarities in some Southeast Asian ingredients from that. Well, so we are definitely going to talk through some of the specific recipes and obviously the photography in the book kind of critical to any cookbook when in the second half of the show we're going to be joined by your photographer Pete Lee. But before we get there, I want to kind of continue a little bit on this discussion of the personal narrative. So your mother is Taiwanese? Yeah. But your dad is not. How did they how do they connect? Um he majored in Asian studies. Um you know, he's he's a white wasp American um and and you know, decided to take on Asian languages at Cornell and uh he was just like took some random job opportunity that happened to be in Taipei at an import export company and my mom was working there too. So they met and fell in love and came back to the states. Yes. Awesome. So when you were growing up in in like your household, um, you know, did did you guys identify as 
Taiwanese American? Or how right. did you kind of understand that as a kid? It's very. It was very confusing as a kid, actually, because you know, in my mom's generation and and a lot of people of her generation, she would kind of simplify and just say, you know, we're Chinese. You know, that's and that's very true to an extent. Like her parents were from mainland China, so. But then I knew, you know, she grew up in Taiwan. I knew my grandparents were living in Taiwan. There's this other place called Taiwan. Um, but when it came down to food, we would just call it Chinese food. But we def- we definitely had a sense of Taiwan, and you know, we went there when I was a little kid. Um, yeah, and in holidays and like culture, there was definitely like a presence throughout my childhood. I love that you included some childhood photos in the <laughs> book. That was a treat. Well, tell me about Gong Gong and Popo. Yeah. <laughs> They were part of a mass um, immigrant arrival in Taiwan in 1948. Um, they both went there independently as young people to Taiwan, um, as like in their young 20s, um, from Hunan province. That's where they're from. And um, they basically were, were like very, um, very righteous about the, uh, you know, the times right then. It was like China's civil war. Um, they they were siding up with Chiang Kai-shek's Republic of Army, uh, bleh, sorry, Republic of China Army, and um, who were fighting against the communists. The communists eventually won. But in that time period, uh, the Republic of China decided to regroup and center its party on Taiwan. So they went and followed because uh, they were wary of communist regime. So those are your, your grandparents. And then... Um so one of the other scenes from the book, you're kind of, uh, I think you're describing like a fish head or being at a fish market as like a young... Oh, that's actually Joy Wang who wrote ah, the foreword. okay. Yeah. Joy Wang, she's a fantastic writer and editor and uh, radio programmer too. Um, so when I heard on her, I was like listening one day to All Things Considered and she mentioned she was Taiwanese and uh-huh. I like wrote to her right then. I was like, hey... I want to know more about your thoughts about Tony's food. I'm doing this project. So, and she was fantastic. She um, wrote. And, but the kind of like, you know, that kind of goes to say that like whenever I hear that somebody knows something about Taiwanese food, it's like, it's kind of hush hush. It's hard to tell. Like I was, as I was saying, my mom would simplify and just call herself Chinese. So when I do hear people mention it, I, I want to. I want to meet them. <laughs> Call that out. Well, yeah, that was, uh, I, you know, I, I guess maybe that's where I like connecting them in my head is like also the, you know, the kind of uh, blurbs on the back of the book. You have Robert Sitzma from from Eater kind of talking about Taiwanese being one of the great neglected regional cuisines of China um, mm. for just this reason, because Taiwanese restaurateurs are more likely to mm. um, open, a, you know, a Cantonese or Szechuan style restaurant um, here in New York. Is there anywhere that you go out for Taiwanese food or I mean yep. that it, you yeah in Flushing um, a few pockets here and there you know there's Eddie Huang's Bauhaus um, yeah it's an interesting perspective isn't it I'm Robert Sietzema is one of the most knowledgeable uh, in in terms of uh, ethnic cuisines in the city so even he can't even you know find these places it's really interesting and and hopefully we'll see we'll see more exposure in the times to come well, that was a, the other thing I think is so nice about your book is um, 
it's an entree point. It's not, you know, the kind of expert level Taiwanese oh, no. cooking. Not the end all be all at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really kind of giving people, and I think of a super warm way, like some spaces to enter uh, and start thinking about Taiwanese cooking and what that means. And I love that you include the like Taiwanese pantry section. Um, that's always to me like one of my favorite parts oh, of, of cookbooks is you know, like, what do I really need to kind of like have on hand so that I don't get like mid recipe or mid book? And then I'm like, shit, I don't have X, Y, Z. But can you take us through some of those pantry items? Like sure. what are, what do you see as kind of like the quintessential kind of touchstones for a beginning, you know, aspiring Taiwanese chef? <laughs> sure. Well, first of all, I, I just want to caveat that by saying um, it's okay if you don't have everything, you know, um, you can substitute and hopefully there's suggestions for that. Um, and also compared to some cuisines, uh, I think that Taiwanese has relatively little crazy ingredients that you can't find too many places. But that said, um, I think soy sauce is definitely one of them. Rice wine is a, like really used heavily in cooking for stewing, for braising, for making sauces. So rice wine, don't be confused by rice vinegar. It's not the same thing. Um, and uh, fresh, like colorful, small chili peppers are used a lot and um, as a garnish, but also to just kind of toss into a braise or something like that. Um, ginger, garlic, uh, cilantro. Yeah, uh, stuff I might probably have anyway. Stuff you know. Yeah. Can mm -hmm. I ask the rice wine, because um, I have some in my fridge right now, mm -hmm. uh, but I was thinking today, I was actually looking at it, I'm like, is it bad? Like how long? Like how long can I keep it in my? Is it like a vinegar where I can keep it? I mean, I know it's yeah. not because it's think, a wine, but like, is there a shelf stability thing oh, there? I think so. Yeah, I mean, you see aged wines all over the place, so yeah, okay. the longer the merrier. I don't have to worry about <laughs> no. It. It's like sake, you know. Cool. So you can also use sake, which is rice wine too. So like you're know, like putting one thing in, one thing out. Mm -hmm. Um, awesome. So one of the other things that um, I would love to kind of chat about before we get Pete Lee on the line is you do touch a little bit on the agriculture uh, mm. of Taiwan. And one of the things that I was surprised to read was um, you had included a stat that the, I guess, the Taiwanese government had committed to increasing organic vegetable right. production by, by this was in two, 2013. They committed to yep. increasing it threefold. And you mentioned throughout the book kind of a growing um, awareness around organic mm -hmm. standards and GMOs and, and what's the landscape there? It is definitely, I, I, I noticed that there was a conspicuous sort of like green movement in Taiwan, which was very exciting. Um, you know, Taiwan is, uh, they're very proud of their Taiwanese made food products. And, you know, being so close to the Republic of China, or sorry, <laughs> they are Sorry, being so close to the People's Republic of China, um, you know, they're wary of the, the lack of uh, health regulations over there. Um, unfortunately, we have seen in the last year or two um, some health scares in Taiwan of irresponsible producers, particularly in cooking oil. But that said, I mean, this is all, you know, reason for why there is this growing movement um, of folks that, that want to see that labeling that says, you know, made in Taiwan, organic non-GMO. And I see that a lot in on labels now for sauces and whatnot. So there is a, con it's interesting because I know that's like something that comes up in conversation here in the States. Like you hear it in broad strokes, like, oh, you know, XYZ thing has been contaminated that was produced in China and now it's coming to America and we have to be like 
yeah. scared and right. questioning. But that that's a thing that you're they, also They've saying. been aware of this for a lot longer than us, right? So when you're closer to this stuff, you tend to be more protective. Um, one of the other categories of the books you were talking about, uh, night markets. Mm. Um, can you describe what, what the night market is and kind of give us a vibe of what we might find there if we were to take a visit? Um, it's kind of like the biggest uh food festival <laughs> but it takes place at night and uh, not only is there food but there's like clothing vendors um, all kinds of like vendors sometimes electronics I've seen pet vendors like all kinds but um, you know people go there to taste all these interesting cool uh, street food so it's a lot of fun it happens every night too which is unlike you know a carnival or you know one night only type of event so people go there and it's like you know it's like the mall you know it's like where you go to hang out and socialize just to shop or sort of stroll around eat a little bit have snacks yeah do you and i'm not sure if if you know about this but i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the um types of food we would find in more urban parts of the country versus more rural parts of the country is there like a big um shift between the two or difference or yeah, I think so. I mean, I think uh, actually it's more geographic too because there's so many regional specialties throughout Taiwan, and hopefully they're kind of called out. And people in Taiwan travel to different cities to taste that regional specialty. So they're like, oh, you know, this famous dish from Jai is this chicken on rice thing, and I got to go there and I got to eat that. You know, kind of like how we would go eat barbecue in Texas um, and so forth. But uh, I think. Uh, Taiwan has a lot of cities. <laughs> I think it's rather evenly populated. So there's like a, a big city, like, you know, in every, in every county. Um, rural food, you know, hopefully we captured some of the home cooking and it tends to be more, more simple, you know, less, less snacky um, traditions. Yeah, similar to here. I have mm-hmm. to say, um, this book made for a really hard morning for me. I was going between this and I'm also reading Michael Pollan's uh, Cooked. Cooked? And, and so I'm like going, I was like vacillating between <laughs> Taiwanese food and like American uh, barbecue history. And I was just like, I don't uh. know what I'm going to have for lunch today. <laughs> Life is so hard. Um, well, hang tight. We are going to move to a short station break. And when mm-hmm. we come back, we'll be joined by Kathy's uh, photographer and um, collaborator on this project, Pete Lee. You are listening to Eat Your Words on the Heritage Radio (laughs) Network, and we'll be right back. You are listening to At Least I Got My Baby by Camelia Hartman on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Ah, the dreamy Mark Ladner. Oh, that's a sexy voice there. I know. <laughs> uh, if you just tuned in, you're, of course, listening to Eat Your Words on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, I'm Aaron- Hosted by Aaron Fairbanks. I know, guest hosting. Um, <laughs> shining a spotlight on uh, Kathy Irway and her new book, uh, The Food of Taiwan, and we're joined in the second half of the show by uh, Pete Lee, who is a San Francisco-based photographer and videographer. Pete, thanks for taking some time to chat with us. Oh, hi. Hey, how are you guys? Good. We're doing good. We're doing good. So how did you and Kathy end up collaborating on this project? Do you want me? Uh, We met like 15 years ago in uh, college when uh, When we're the only Taiwanese people. We're going to be doing this, you know, all these years later. And uh, I think it was around 2011, like late 2011, when Kathy um, told me that she is working on this book and uh, wanted to uh, do some kind of research. And I just begged her to take me along uh, to Taiwan, and, uh, and and she did. And we started collaborating, and uh, that was a really fun trip. I think we just we we, we uh, traveled the island for i think close to a month and we just ate everything yeah oh that's rad so pete your background is not in in food or food work so i'm wondering like when you were um kind of on the trip with kathy you know what did you feel like was going to be kind of the important stuff to capture to really share some of the spirit of taiwan with the readers of the book um i don't know for me i felt like um I actually, I mean, I, I, I have I have certain opinions about um, Taiwanese food and, and how it should be, but really more of it was about capturing, like, the excitement of the people in mm-hmm. Taiwan and what they feel is important and what they feel like they should share, as opposed to filter through uh, uh, my own you know, nostalgia for Taiwanese food or my own experience growing up over there. So uh, that really was more of, you know, what... I don't know, I felt like I was trying to relay, or we're, we're trying to relay. Like, when we were there, uh, people were so excited to share the food with us. And there were, you know, whether they just be, um, you know, owners of a restaurant or, or, or coffee shops or just people we meet in the streets or people we, we, right. we became friends with, you know, everybody has a secret thing. Everybody has a take on, on uh, what Taiwanese food is or should be. And... Uh, so, you know, we just, I, I just kind of like beautifully <laughs> photographed uh, whatever it is that I felt like that they were trying to relate to us. And, and you know, Pete is really good at like finding those stories and um, being inspired in the moment by these people. And, um, I, you know, I would come up with like lists. I'm like, Pete, you have to shoot this. You have to shoot an Aboriginal. You need to shoot. And, uh, and meanwhile, Pete's like running across the street after this man who's dressed like an accidental Asian hipster. And I'm like, that's not on the list. That old man is not. 
<laughs> it's kind of like speaking to some of that creative tension that can be fun when you have someone who is uh, like myself, maybe a touch more detail oriented versus being like open to absorbing kind of like the vibe of what's around you. I would love for each of you and maybe starting with you, Kathy, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what in your what in your experience, like Taiwanese people were like when it came to food, like what what that vibe is. Well, they are obsessed with food. <laughs> that's that's like main line, main point. Um, and, and in so many ways, I mean, I think that Taiwanese uh, food obsessions there there is no limitations to it. They're really interested in in trying foreign foods and um, trying all the specialties from, from throughout China, from throughout Taiwan as well as East Asia in, in general too. Kind of open. How about you, uh, Pete? What do you think? Uh, I feel like. Uh, Taiwanese people, by and large, I think the culture encourages you to be very humble and, and encourages you to be low, uh, you know, kind of low key. But when it comes to food, you can tell that they take enormous pride. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I link it to how like people of New Orleans talk about their music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, it's it they. Uh, they only not want you. To, they they not only want you to know uh, about the food that they love. They also they're also aware that you know there is food that they have that is internationally popular, and they want you to try the real version. And they want you to see how you know how how far their boba game has stepped up. Uh-huh. You know, uh, yeah. while the rest of the world is catching up and that kind of thing. Well, um, I do want to talk about uh, a couple of recipes that jumped out or kind of items that jumped out to me in particular Uh-oh. in the book, um, starting with meatball mochi, because okay. I was like, wait, what? Meatball mochi? <laughs> I'm like, what's happening? Sweet, savory, meat, rice? Okay. So this dish's name translates to meatball. Pete, do you want to add anything else on it? I mean, bawan. It's, um, yeah, you see it's, meatball uh, translated. It, yeah, it, it really just means uh, meatball or, or, or some kind of round Right. Meat. <laughs> so I thought that wasn't quite, you know, capturing the whole of this dish because it's, yes, it has meat, but it on the outside it's just like sort of clear, um, like kind of chewy starch. So it's kind of like a dumpling, but it's not like a wheat skin. It's like this rice glutinous rice starch skin so it's kind of similar to mochi so i called it meatball mochi oh man it sounds like so delicious <laughs> i'm like you're kind of like married like two of my favorite kind of flavors <laughs> and textures um well the other thing i feel like i see around and and a little bit here in in new york sometimes at markets is bitter melon and mm. i'm never like i always want to get it but then i'm just like uh what do i do so what do we do with bitter melon it is so bitter. <laughs> um, one great way to do it, if you're scared of um, how sharply bitter it is, because it is, um, is to steam it first and then stuff it with meat. <laughs> There's a recipe for it, so it's stuffed bitter melon. Um, so I, I think that softens the flavor and also coddles it with some richness to help cut that. Um, Pete, any other suggestions you have? Yeah, I actually, I just like it. Uh, I mean, I guess it really depends on uh, the type of bitter melon that you pick out. But, uh, you know, I, I like the fresher ones, the, the green ones. The green, and, the um, green. And it's always fun for me to just, like, off, you know, you treat it like coffee. Like, mm-hmm. there is bitterness, but, uh, you know, you don't, you don't mask it. You just try to bring out, you know, other, other aspects of a, of, a, of a melon. And uh, I've eaten it. 
uh, almost like a, a cucumber salad. So it's bitter melon yeah. with uh, honey. Okay. And I really love that. And uh, or you can just stir fry with some beef. That's always a popular. Hmm. You know, you can find that in like little Chinatown eateries. And, and so, things like that. I don't know. Yeah. So you can just kind of, so like as, just as far as like preparation techniques, I can, you can eat it raw. You can mm-hmm. steam it. You can stir fry it. You can mm-hmm. cook it. So kind you of can juice it. You can too. juice it. So don't be. Yeah, just pick one up and like play around. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, it's got that sponge in the middle that you absolutely shouldn't eat. That yeah, is the, the bitter the part. Seeds. And the outer okay. part, the rind, is, uh, is you know, it, it like it kind of resembles watermelon rind to me, uh, where, you know, it's got this... It, it, it's got this little bit of sweetness to it, and that's, I think that's why we're obsessed with it. Yeah, oh. the good part. Um, one of the other kind of um, components in the uh, book... And, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it was just the letter Q. Um, <laughs> QQ. QQ. What is QQ? Oh, it, it's a word to describe um, a, a coveted texture that you see in in meatballs, in fish balls, in uh, in bawan skin. I think. Um, what else? In tapioca pearls, I think that would be described as Q. Some noodles are a little bouncy and springy, so. I think um, I think Pete, you know, help help me explain this um, because you know it's not too, you know, it's different from Western preferences. So it's it's not like tender, but mm-hmm. it's like it has some bite. Right. But, yeah. Uh, it. Um, I think springy is a right mm, is a springy. good word. I've heard a TV chef on Taiwan explain it as uh, bouncing off your teeth. Bouncing off your teeth. Okay. Okay, so it's like if I wanted to, like you know, if I if you like invite me over to your your grandma's house and I wanted to really compliment her, mm-hmm. I would say like, oh, this is very cute. Is that right? If it was, if it was, yeah. if it was, if it wasn't, then they should yeah. be like, okay, nice try. But cute <laughs> well, is also something that is found more in fast food and yes. you know in processed food. So I don't think that's a very grandma. I think okay, uh, yeah, okay. the old the, the grandmas of Taiwan don't don't go for that kind of stuff. Mm. All right, good. Well, I just want to know, in general, whenever I'm traveling in any part of the world, I, I basically want to know how to say thank you to grandma. So I feel mm. like that's like just a good rule of thumb as a traveler. <laughs> say how to. How to. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great skill. Um, well, yeah. just one other um, kind of recipe that, well, it's a very simple recipe that I want to kind of shout out is the the pickled mustard greens, because I just think it's like such a simple right. um Preparation, and I feel like here in New York, we're seeing more and more uh, varieties of greens showing up at the summer markets. Mm. And um, I, I'm a condiment girl. Like anytime mm. I can have a little something extra, like funky or spicy or sour, to add to almost any dish, to me it seems like a really nice way to add like a splash of Taiwanese yeah. into whatever yeah. I happen to be cooking. Make a make a jar of this. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's taking one type of mustard greens, which is like has a more kind of thick, fibrous, whiter white part, but it has you know in the mustard green family, and um, just by just by simply lacto fermenting fermenting it, um, which is one variety of pickles that is used in sauerkraut and kimchi, um, you produce this wonderful funky, sour, tangy flavor that combined with just the mustard greens natural kind of pepperiness it's it's really wonderful well we are just about out of time um but before we head out kathy what is the best way for folks to get the book to to follow you on tour to kind of hear more about what's up 
All right. So we're doing a dinner um, on, uh, okay, so in March 30, ah, sorry, March 29th at Jimmy's um, in New York City. We're also doing a dinner in San Fran at NAMU on April 6th. Awesome. That said, you can also walk, tune in to WNYC's The Green Space to see a little live discussion on uh, this Tuesday night. Radio on radio. I know. That's awesome. Uh, Pete, Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Kathy, you, thank you for letting me co-host. It's been a real treat to get a chance to <laughs> thank interview. You. Thanks for thank joining, you. Pete. It was a lot of fun. So once again, the book is The Food of Taiwan by your regular Eat Your Words host, Kathy Irway. Uh, go to your great local independent uh, cookbook seller and, and pick up your copy. Um, I, it's going to be a ton of fun. I know I've definitely enjoyed it. Um, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Eat Your Words. We're going to take you out. Uh, this program, like all 39 of our weekly shows, is available for free. You can find out more by visiting our website, www.heritageradionetwork.com. Dot org. If you believe in our work, please become a member. Click that donate tab. We'll send you some swag, and um, you'll just feel proud and like better about yourself in, in general as a human. Uh, thanks again for listening, and stay tuned in. See ya. song for Eat Your Words is Lovin' Like This by the Whoa, California Honey Drops. The way you took it so slow. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.